before we start, here's a message from one of our friends. Hey, Super Friends, my name is Neil. My name is Martin. And we are the hosts of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We are here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV, comic book, and pop culture goodness from our studio to your speakers. You can pick up our podcast on all major platforms or head to our website, www.getyourcomiccon.co.uk for more. Welcome to the show where people share their passions. Everyone is geek about something. I'm your super dummy Paul on a mission to learn from people's experiences. This is Era of Geek. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave a review and tell your friends. It helps us grow and find some more wonderful guests. Speaking of which, we have a great guest today that you may have heard from before on various other podcasts. They've got so many fascinating stories. It's no wonder people love to talk to them. My name's Glyn. Uh, I've been on a few podcasts. A lot of people hopefully will know me on Twitter. Uh, I'm 42 years old. Uh, very recently, sort of in the last 10 years, started attending lots of Comic-Cons. I work as a self-employed delivery driver, so I'm just around the country all the time. Lots of driving, lots of... Well, just lots and lots of driving. I've also got a second job doing the same sort of thing, delivering for somebody else. Uh, I just love movies and and all the sort of 80s geek culture, really. Sunday, Sunday is pretty much the only time I get to watch TV. I'll set my alarm early, get up before everybody else, and I'll sit and try and catch up on any movies I want to watch or any TV shows that I want to watch but my wife doesn't, so I don't ever stay in bed because that's the only time I've got to myself. Uh, I collect autographs. I've got quite a lot of autographs. I've met tons of celebrities. I'm now going after, like, sort of celebrities I really want to meet no matter how hard it's going to be I'm sort of like aiming towards meeting those people and, mm. and getting collections of things signed like I've got Grant from the Goonies signed which is probably one of the harder ones so now I want to go after the easier ones that attend Comic Cons in this country and stuff like that uh, I've got something from like the Navigator signed so the kid's obviously like older than me he's in his 40s but I've I've got photos of him signing it and the director signed it I'm just going after the stuff that really interested me as a kid and trying to get to meet all those people now. Blimey. So is that kind of your, with that you say, is your main love kind of movies more than anything? Uh, yeah, I would say movies, more more specifically 80s movies, Back to the Future and, and Karate Kid and all the, all the main ones that everybody loves. I'm, I'm sort of crazy about them. But, I mean, I do play video games, but, but very rarely I, I love like Grand Theft Auto and I, I used to love the Call of Duty series of games but it just seems to be getting worse and worse now mm. uh, comic book wise I've I've never really got onto the sort of bandwagon of comic books even as a, even as a child uh, I sort of read the Beano and the Dandy but I never got into the, the sort of Batman and comic book sort of comics I just don't know why because nobody in my family read them I just assume I never really heard about them or got onto them I mean, I've considered getting into them now, but I just feel like the, the amount of comics I would have to read to even sort of get any knowledge on something that I've never read before, obviously. It's Star Wars. There's just a million comics. I love the movies, and it'd be nice to fill in the gaps, but I wouldn't know where to start. Mm. Yeah, it is hard. I think, do you think the the movies 
are helping you sort of come into the world? Does that piqued your interest in maybe picking some more stuff up to fill in the gaps or have the movies just kind of been movies? Yeah, I mean, the, the prequels, see, I enjoyed the prequels because it gave you sort of the backstory of where they all come from. I also like the sequels. I don't dislike any of the Star Wars franchise. If I'm confused, I don't know what's going on. I've, I've been speaking to Mike from Genuine Chit Chat, and he sort of fills the gaps in for me because he, he's like the fountain of all knowledge on Star Wars. So, it, to be honest, my memory sort of wouldn't be... If I sort of started reading the comics to try and work out where everything happened, my memory just isn't good enough to even slot them into the right places anyway. So I prefer to just the Mandalorian. I, I ended up like, speaking to Mike, asking when's this set, and... Just anything that comes out, I sort of give him a message to help me out or explain who somebody is. Yeah, it's um, there's a lot more of a community now for geek culture. Yeah, the, the prequels helped a, a new generation. Have they? They've, they've, re- they've refreshed it for like my kids would see the originals, but the prequels and the sequels, the sequels more so. Sorry, have have made have carried that story on for all the younger kids. So hopefully, with well, the fact that Disney owns them they'll probably just carry on forever now and it'll, it'll keep going in, in every generation. I know a lot of the hardcore fans don't like the fact that Disney is saturating Star Wars now, but to some people it's just it's just a way of carrying on and, and watching the saga for as long as, as can be sort of thing. Mm. So do you remember what your, like your first encounter with something that made you geek out about? Do you remember that, like that first time that something tweaked you? Red Dwarf, I, I was watching Red Dwarf when I was sort of 10 years old because my brother is 10 years older than me and we shared a room. So I started watching Red Dwarf at a very early age, an age when I shouldn't have really been watching it. And he used to make a deal with me that he'd let me stay up and watch it. And like, obviously, our parents wouldn't know that I had to go straight to sleep afterwards because I used to irritate him chatting all the time because obviously I was 10 years old and I was just constantly talking and, and wrecking his head. So he used to let me watch it. And then he was like, but as soon as it's finished, I want you to, to go straight to sleep. And he got me into all sorts of things. I used to watch uh, something called Sledgehammer, I think I watched because of my brother, an old 80s cop thing. Um, my mum and dad always kept, always had lots of movies onto the 80s movies. So that's that's where it all come from, just, just as a kid. Everything wasn't as readily available. You'd end up watching the same movies over and over again because they were repeated on the telly and you sort of had to be into them. If you liked them the first time and, and you kept watching them, then that's why you ended up lo- loving them so much. Nowadays, there's so many movies. Unless it's a known franchise, people just forget about them really quickly because you probably never see them again. Mm. So what do you think was it about um, about Red Dwarf in particular? Why why is that? Do you think that is that the memory that kind of sticks out? Why did that speak to you more than other things? Just, just a humour. It was just... I mean, I was probably too young to even get the humour, but I just really did. I loved it. And the, the camaraderie and, and the way that they hated each other, but they had no choice but to, to be with each other forever because they were stuck in space. And it was just, the whole concept was just amazing. I mean, I've seen, spoke to Danny John Jules probably 20, 30 times. I've seen him with so many Comic-Cons. He knows who I am. If I, if I message him on Twitter, he remembers me. And I've even spoke to Doug Naylor as well about Red Dwarf because... I was complaining that there was no Funkos existed and and like I was I was saying to him, have they been in touch with you? And he said, No, I'm still waiting for a phone call. Don't understand why 
with no interest in, in the sort of franchise because the amount of stuff they bring out with Funkos, it's mm. just crazy that something like Red Dwarf has had no nothing brought out at all. It just baffles my head. Yeah, that's crazy. That's real cult stuff. And, you know, they've had a couple of revivals as well. You'd think that would be something they'll jump onto. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a custom Danny John Jules one, but the guy who made it spoke the Wayne wrong because I got the Wayne Dibley. Um, uh, Danny John Jules has signed it for me, and it, it's a very unique item. He posed with it. I've got photos of him like showing it off because he loved it. But the fact that the Dwayne spelled wrong is just just stupid. I don't. He mustn't have been much of a fan, but he, he told me that he was a fan. And when it came, it was spelled wrong, and I was like, oh, "What am I supposed to do with this?" I've had a few problems because. Uh, I recently sent a poster to London to uh, Jeffrey Wiseman, who played Dark and Back to the Future. Hmm. And uh, he, he went round and got it signed by a few guests for me because I've been speaking to him on Twitter for a couple of years. And uh, he messaged me and he said, brilliant news for you. I've got it signed, but uh, a lot of them have spelled your name wrong. So it says to Glenn instead of to Glenn. So although it's a fantastic item, it's not signed to me, really. So <laughs> I've got to grin and bear it now and just put up with it. Yeah. So how did the collecting start for you? Was that something that you kind of accidentally fell into? Uh, I've been collecting steel books for, for years. I've, I've had moments where I've sold my collection and then I've started again from scratch. And I, I, keep, I was going through a stage of literally buying every steel book that existed rather than movies I was into. So I, I sold them and then I'd said, right, I'm just going to buy movies I like now. It's it's just silly that I'm literally every steel book that was released, I was buying it. And I was like, I'll never even watch this movie. I don't even like this movie, but I've got the steel book. <laughs> it was crazy. I ended up selling the whole collection for a lot less than it was worth to sort of get get rid of it and start again. And now I've got, I've only got about 20 or 30. Obviously, there's a lot more movies that I'm into, but some of them are sort of really hard to get hold of. And, crazy prices you can pay 100 quid 200 quid for the right steel book and I just ask myself if it's worth it most of the time so just at the end of the day it's just a movie and if, you, if you're going to be a proper collector you're never even going to open that movie so to, to pay 200 pounds for it I just I am not too much over it really mm. so what, what else do you collect then other than steel books uh, I've got steel books a lot, quite a few of them signed uh I've, I've got uh, Funkos, not a lot. Of, I used to have loads the same again, and I was just like buying collections that come out because they, they look good, and then I was thinking I'm going to go back to collecting ones that I really like. Like I've got the Princess Bride set, which I'd love to get signed. Uh, I've got Back to the Future ones. That some of them were signed. I've, I've ended up fell on hard times and got rid of two of my signed ones of those. I'm sure I'll, I'll get them back at some point. Uh, I've got like the Goonies collection, and just more specific now for movies I really like. I've got Bad Boys because I love those movies as well. I've always collected media because even when DVDs existed, I bought one DVD, and within like six to twelve months, I had hundreds of them. And then I tried to upgrade all them to Steelbook when Steelbook. No, sorry, I tried to upgrade them all to Blu-rays when Blu-ray come out, and then I soon got onto the fact that 4K's out, and then you'll get all your 4Ks and then they'll release 8K copies. So it's just, you've got to decide whether you're going to keep spending to update those collections. Movie props I do collect as well, but obviously they're a lot more expensive if you buy real ones or movie, movie quality ones. Yeah. Blimey. 
What is it about it that kind of sucks you in, do you think? I just I just love it. 80s movies were so much more watchable than than today's movies. There are movies up today made that are great and I'll watch them over and over again, but I just never get sick of 80s movies. I mean, my three-year-old little girl loves Back to the Future, and obviously because of me, but I could honestly just watch them every day, and you'd never get sick of them, just the format and the way they were shot and the fact that I grew up with all the characters in those movies. I think that's what propelled me the culture. Like uh, 2007, I think, was my first Comic-Con, and I went because... Uh, who was there? Somebody really got my attention, and it was because it was up the road was the reason why I decided to go. Because London's just too much organisation, and it's too much like for me to leave my family. I probably have to go for the weekend, and I don't really like to go away for that length of time because I don't see them a lot. So when they did one in Wrexham, which is only like a forty-minute drive from my house, that's that's why I went. And then I learned that you can volunteer to work there. So once I realised that you can work there, and meet all the celebrities for free most of the time. That was it for me then. I, I volunteered every year, twice a year. And sitting with, with celebrities and seeing how down to earth the majority of them are, don't get me wrong, some of them you would never want to sit with again. But I've sat with Doctor Who guests and I've no interest in Doctor Who whatsoever, but it's been so interesting to to sit and chat to them and just talk about their life as a celebrity. I had a really good time sat with... Uh, Mike Quinn, who was a puppeteer on Star Wars, and he played Neen Num. I, I had a great time chatting to him for the day. Uh, who else did I sit with? I sat with Michael Bean from The Alien and The Rock and Terminator. I sat with. I sat next to him. I wasn't actually with him. I was with another guest next to him. But uh, it's just brilliant to meet celebrities on like terms where they're, they're getting pestered, but you, you're also getting so much personal time with them. You sat with them all day, so in between guests, it's just small talk with each other, and you're just chatting away. When I first started doing it, it was it was surreal, and you don't really get to choose who you sat with. Because I know I went one year, and he said you sat with the bar, and I had no idea what that was because I'm not a wrestling fan. And then it turned out I was sat with Seamus and Cesaro all day, who I did recognise from the TV, but I didn't know them as the bar, and they they were really nice guys considering I'm not really into wrestling they were lovely guys to meet and I've, I'm trying to think of the best person the worst person I've met which was unfortunate because I love Back to the Future was Billy Zane he was just not a nice guy right. and so that don't meet your heroes thing in, in some aspects turned out to be true on that occasion Sam Neill was lovely I didn't sit with him but I, I had a, a little chat with him uh, guys from Lord of the Rings is the ones I probably spent the most time chatting to I, I was sat with, uh, I'm trying to think of his name now. Oh, Scottish guys. Oh, Ken Stott. Uh, I was I was actually sat with him while he was signing autographs, and then next to me was uh, Roy Tolkien, which is actually J.R.R. Tolkien's grandson. Yeah. So that, to me, was amazing because of who his grandfather was, and he obviously had a small part in, in Lord of the Rings as well. And then uh, I'm trying to think of the other guy. He's a New Zealand guy, but I can't. I can't remember his name. They were just really fun to sit with. Mm. And I just loved chatting to them. And it blew my mind more that he was related to J.R.R. Tolkien than he was a celebrity to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, J.R. is almost like a mythical being on his own. Yeah, I think that's the way you see it, isn't it? And then to meet one of his like descendants is, is crazy. 
the funny thing about sitting with the guys who plays the Hobbits, the Hobbits was that some people didn't know what they looked like in real life. So <laughs> Ken Scott, Ken Scott was three or four hours late because his train was delayed. So I was sat at this table waiting for him, and every like so often someone would ask me for my autograph, thinking that I was him because they didn't know what he looked like. And I was, I was just like, you can't be that big a fan if you don't know who he is. Yeah. And it was just, I offered to sign people's autographs. I was like, I'll sign it if you want, but I'm, I'm not who you think I am. <laughs> yeah, you'd think you'd at least kind of Google a recent picture of him. Yeah, because otherwise, you, I didn't know who he was until, but as soon as I sat down and he said, oh, you were Ken Scott, I got on my phone and I was like, right, well, let's, let's find out who he is because I don't actually know who this guy is. And straight away I went on to chat. He was he was a nice guy as well. He's done a lot more movies than I thought. It's like the Mike Quinn. I only knew him from Star Wars and, and a puppeteer. But we were sat and he's been working with Jim Henson for years. So some of the things he's done I had no idea of. It was so interesting to chat to him. Mm. Do you think does this kind of give you more of a connection to those things that you you loved that you can you know, you have this physical You've touched one of these people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does. Really, like, as I say, Jeffrey Wiseman, I, I just contacted through Twitter, but, like, I've been speaking to him for two years, maybe two and a half years, and we're almost like friends. Another guy I started speaking to through Twitter was someone who's in The Mandalorian, but he only had a bit part in The Mandalorian. Now we follow each other, and, like, we have normal chats with each other. Like, I know he's going to meet me for a drink, hopefully, and, May because uh, Star Wars celebrations over here in May, isn't it? So mm. I never managed to get a ticket for that because they sold out in about five seconds. But I, I'll probably travel down to London anyway just to meet him for a drink. I think. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's how do you think you sort of have been able to build up these relationships? A lot of the time through Twitter, it's just oh, it's just being cheeky, honestly, because. Like Jeffrey Wiseman, how did I how did that come about? I, I was chatting to him, and then I ended up setting him up for an interview on on one of my friends' podcasts. But I didn't know him. I'd literally just decided to start speaking to him. I did the same with the guy from The Mandalorian, Dominic Casey. He's been on genuine chit chat with Mike. I set that up. But some celebrities, obviously, if you've got to go and start trying to speak to Tom Cruise on Twitter, it's not going to happen, and he's never going to acknowledge you. But like your, your smaller people who are sort of up and coming. I mean, Jeffrey Wiseman, as well known as he is, probably a lot of people don't know he played George McFly in the, in the second and third movies if they're not huge fans. And he's he's done a lot of movies. He's been in things with Dennis Hopper and he's done huge movies. It's just always sort of bit parts. And it, it is just sort of relentless chatting to them. I, I started speaking to Ed Sullivan, who wrote uh, Bill and Ted and Men in Black, and I sent him something into America. And I just said, what happened with that was, I put a picture up of my steel book that was signed by uh, Alex Winter. And I put, oh, this would look great with your signature underneath. And he sent me back a picture and he digitally put his signature on it and screenshots it and sent it back to me. And, and I was like, is there any chance you could do that for real? And he, and he inboxed me and he said, here's my address. Don't tell everyone because they'll all start sending me stuff. Send it over to me. And unfortunately, 
it went missing on the way back. I've never had it back. Oh. So I lost Alex Winters also Grant and Ed Solomon's and Steel Buff, but it's it's the risk you take with, with mail, I suppose. But yeah, it's just you just get answers that you're not expecting half the time. Like he sent me a picture back of it signed display and I just wasn't expecting that at all. It was crazy. Some stars go out of the way to speak to all the fans because Craig Fairbrass, who's not a huge star, but obviously he's done films like Cliffhanger, which is a massive favourite of mine. And he tries to speak to everybody who speaks to him. And he even said on Twitter, if you message me, I will always try and message you back. It might take a few days, but I'll always try and speak to you back because at the end of the day, you're the reason I'm where I am, the fans. So some people are just amazing like that. And then other people just forget where they come from, I think is for want of a better way, that's what happens. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that, you know, a lot of these people are just normal people who just happen to have the right job at the right time. Craig Charles is the only person I ever met from Red Dwarf, but a lot of the time he doesn't like speaking about Red Dwarf, which to me is crazy because he wouldn't be famous if it wasn't for Red Dwarf. So I find that quite sort of offensive sometimes, if I'm honest. I still need to meet him because we've got everybody else's autograph, but for him to not want to talk about the thing that made him famous is, is crazy. Yeah. It must be quite... Yeah, it must be hard. If it was something that you absolutely loved... And they're kind of ignoring its existence. There's a, there's a few of them out there that do that. Like, Sarah Jessica Parker doesn't remember ever being in uh, Flight of the Navigator, but she had a decent role in it. And apparently, uh, Courtney Cox doesn't really remember Friends, which to me is absolutely not, unless she's had some sort of accident and suffered brain damage. How could you not remember giving up like 11 years, 12 years of your life? Yeah, I mean, my, my collection of everything would be would be huge if I lived on my own. My wife sort of tolerates it as much as she can, but she she wants a show home, so she doesn't want... I used to have, like, four big units, then it went down to three big units, then it went down to one unit, and, and now she's on about me building something in the back garden to keep my stuff in, so I don't mind that. If it's sort of going to be a man cave, that's great, but I suppose... All, all previous partners and wives, I didn't have any collections, I didn't collect anything, so it it would be so much bigger than it is if if it was if I lived on my own, my whole house would probably be collectibles. Because I've had some amazing stuff over the years and I've I've had to sort of decide what I want more and I had like a bag of crystal meth signed by Aaron Paul and <laughs> it was starting to fade anyway and I was like, This isn't gonna survive long term, there's no real good way of storing it, so I sold it on to, to a fan in the end. And I've, I've had so much stuff. It's just crazy. A lot of science stuff. Just moved it on and kept what I want to keep. And when I've hit financial hardship or whatever, or hard times due to COVID and things like that, if you've got something that's worth 400 quid and it's just a signature, you're just like, right, I'll get 400 quid then. So you've got to think about your family and the money rather than what it's worth to you because it might only be worth that to you. You're the fan, but somebody else who's not a fan will think, well, why the hell did you pay £400 for that? Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because a lot of people, you know, they have collections like this, they would never part with it. But you seem to have like a very realistic view of, you know, it's it's a nice thing to have, but at the end of the day, you know, it is just a thing. I mean, I've, the advantage I've got over some people is, apart from, the newer stuff like Josh Brolin, I've met the people, so 
80 percent of the time i have to pay for the autograph so it's not as hard to let go of it for that reason because i didn't pay out like hundreds and hundreds of pounds for it in the first place but i mean josh brolin i think after I had to send it to America, which cost me postage. I think I had to pay about $350 for him to sign it, which was less money at the time because of the strength of the pound. But then when it come back to me, I got hit with a £60 import charge for sending it back to me. So it cost like 400 quid, and I'll never get that back. I'll be lucky to get maybe £200 for it, unless obviously if he passes away, then things go up in value. But you never sort of get your money back for what it's worth. Harrison Ford's autographs are like two grand, and he won't sign things in the street because he knows that the majority of people get to sign in the street and to profit off it, so he won't do it. That's insane. I can understand that, that connection to these things that you love, but, yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got one in America at the moment, Benedict Cumberbatch, and I've got John Cena that's already been signed, but I'm paying that off. I mean, a lot of the things I've, I've set up payment plans with because I, I wouldn't pay like four hundred pounds that one one go. I've got sort of better things to pay to spend that amount of money on. But I've got a, a peacemaker Funko being signed that's been signed by John Cena, and I've got a Doctor Strange Funko that's getting signed by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as well. Oh, brilliant! It's amazing. I, I think pe- people would raid your house given half a chance for all these sorts of things. <laughs> Oh yeah, so some of the things like uh, like I've been told people would love to see that I've got. I recently I had a tattooist who was designing a tattoo. I've now moved on to someone else because he just kept ignoring me for months and months and months. And I bumped into him after I'd gone to another tattooist. And he said, "Listen, Glenn, I'm really sorry. Uh, I ended up in like a psychiatric hospital, so obviously I felt awful, and uh, I had no idea that that's what had happened." I said, listen, I'm so sorry for messing you around for the best part of a year. Uh, do you want that bust that you've always liked? Because he, he makes busts from, from scratch, like for Marvel and Disney. Right. He's done an Iron Pool, which is an Iron Man Deadpool crossover bust. It's full size. And he's given it me as an apology. Wow. But I've got nowhere to put that. It's just, it's full size. So it's shoulders and a head. And it's made out of like an acrylic or an epoxy or something. So at some point, I'm probably going to end up trying to sell that. But it's such a unique item. I don't think it would do it justice to let it go for a cheap price. But I've just got nowhere to put it. What is it, do you think, that that speaks to you so much about it? Is this like, is it the collecting or is it the connection to your childhood, to your memories, to, you know, times gone past? I think the older stuff is like connection to my childhood because I didn't have a great childhood. I was bullied a lot, uh, mainly because of some of the silly things. I just, I, like, I collected stamps when I was younger, and that was such, like, such, like, the highest level of sort of geekiness to collect stamps. And I don't know whatever appealed to me of doing it, but I collected them for, for years and years. and like I got bullied for that and I don't I don't know what my childhood was I just seemed to be into the wrong things well not so much the wrong things but things that got me in a lot of trouble and got me bullied a lot and I just didn't stand up for myself I mean I'm six foot five and almost 30 stone now and I've sort of got my own back on a lot of the bullies I joined the army and I've been special forces 
I ended up working on doors for many years and I realised that I should never have been letting people bully me in the first place, but I just wasn't a confrontational person at the time. And I was into bird watching and I was into nature, mainly because that's how my parents brought me up, taking me to Wales every year on holiday and we used to go for walks and a lot of families weren't like that. I mean, I was lucky to have both my parents. So I speak to a lot of people who didn't have both of the parents in their life. My wife certainly had a very troubled upbringing with her parents and I was just lucky to have both parents, I think. And because of that, a lot of the bullies were single-parent families and it, it's jealousy with bullies and as you grow older, you realise that they're just jealous that you've got a normal life and you've got your parents that love you and they've been left by one of theirs or they've had a broken family and a broken upbringing and as you become an adult you realise that they were bullying you because they wanted to be like you not because they hated what you were doing Mm. it says a lot that you kind of stuck with a lot of these interests despite you know the appearances despite what people said about it I mean they disappeared for a while when I got into drinking and things like that I probably wouldn't Mm. have been as much into them. I mean, I always had a lot of movies. I've always watched loads of movies. There's nothing better when you've got a hangover than to sit and watch classic movies. But, I mean, I don't drink anymore. I, I had a drug problem for a long time. I don't touch drugs anymore. And a lot of the drugs and the drink was in sort of... I had the word in my head. It was sort of to counteract me being bullying. I thought I should be in with a different group of people. So I got in with the wrong group of people to, to sort of make me feel better about myself and me getting bullied. And that's what led to drinking all the time and drugs and things like that. And then as I've grown up and realised that's no life and I shouldn't be into things like that, I've sort of settled back into who I am and into my own skin and doing what I enjoy rather than what I thought I enjoyed and what I thought people wanted me to be like. Mm. Do you think that's part of why a lot of these movies spoke to you is because there are a lot of the movies that you've talked about. There is a level of, you know, accepting who you are and finding your own place in life. Yeah. I mean, Karate Kid saved, probably saved me when I was a kid because it got me into martial arts. And that's how I ended up getting rid of the bullies because what, after watching Karate Kid, I decided that I wanted to, to start doing martial arts. So I started studying martial arts and I got very good at it. And then, the, the bullies started leaving me alone because of the abilities I had through martial arts. And other films like Rocky, where he's the underdog and he's getting bullied, there's, there's so many films out there that they all have the same sort of message in the 80s, and it was all like getting bullied. And even Back to the Future, you've got Biff who's bullying him, but he's not backing down. And they, they just all motivate you so much. Now, nowadays, films aren't, aren't like that. They're just, they're just about. Yeah, the figures. I mean, I love the MCU, but even, well, I suppose the MCU had the same sort of bullying with uh, Steve Rogers. He was the underdog and stuff, but mm. it's more about getting people on seats now in the movie industry, not so much about important messages to people, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really considered it, but a lot of the, if you look at a lot of the characters that they're showing in these films, they're not necessarily the underdog they're they're not battling against the odds they some of them you know they've had a bit of a dodgy situation but it just kind of works out for them yeah i mean 
Dan, Daniel in Karate Kid, he was a lot. Now, now you've watched Cobra Kai, he was a bit of a sort of he was a bit of the bully as well as the one being bullied because he come in and started. He took Johnny's girlfriend and he started humiliating Johnny once he got good at stuff. He like the 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 boot was turned, the tables were turned, sort of thing, and he went on to be rich in Cobra Kai. So it's it's weird how you look at things and then. Cobra Kai's turned, turned your head on it, thinking, actually, was Daniel a bad guy or was he the good guy? So, 80s films just had better messages, I think. And yeah. Do you think the, sort of the, looking on that, the current movies, do you think they're making things better in acceptance or are they making things a bit harder in that, you know, people don't have the messages? Uh, I think with the, with the MCU, it's now, it, they've obviously got so many comic book characters that go on forever, but they're seeing how much money it makes as well. I, I do really enjoy the MCU, but there's a few films that are in there that have just been in there purely to, to sort of make money, like all the sequels. You make a good film and then they'll make a terrible sequel because they know that people are still going to watch it. The messages aren't as apparent in, in newer movies as, as they were back then, and obviously... There's a lot of things they can't do in movies, which in, in some aspects spoils them. I mean, some of the films I watched as a kid, you would not be allowed to put them on for a child now. It would be sort of frowned upon. Like, I watched Terminator when I was 10 or 11 years old, probably, but I wouldn't dream of putting it on for my 10 or 11-year-old kids. So I suppose culture changes and things get frowned upon that shouldn't be. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything particularly scary about Terminator. It's just... You've got to set your mind away from the fact that it's not real. I mean, I, I don't watch horror films because I've literally never been scared of a horror film. My mind makes tells me it's a movie and I can't be scared of it. it it's not possible. I've, I've tried watching them and I just know it's a movie and in my head that then makes it not jarring and not scary. That's interesting. And I can't turn that off. I, I, I've watched a few horror films just to try and see if there's... There's a scary, a scary aspect to them, but, but there isn't because I can't take my mind away from the fact that it's just actors. And But then when I watch films that I love, <laughs> my mind goes into that. Like, it, it's crazy, really. Like, obviously, I know Back to the Future is just actors, but it doesn't take it away from being enjoyable. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's not something I've really considered. I, do you think that the fact that like these days, you know, kids are being brought up more with video games and more, you know, the media. It's not you kick your kids out into the street and they go play. It's you sit your kids down in front of the TV, they play the video games. Is that changing the boundaries in people's minds between it, reality? Definitely. I mean, my son's 14 and, and we have to make him leave the house. He's, he's so into computer games and, and YouTube and TikTok that, we, we have to sort of make him leave the house. Obviously, we go on holiday and he's fine on holiday, but he, he just doesn't want to go out of the house. Sometimes that makes me and his mum feel better because of how dangerous the world can be as well. Mm. And it's just a mixture of, of things. Kids don't really want to go out. And then the kids that do go out tend to be the ones that are causing trouble or getting in trouble because there's, there's not as much to do outside. They're so used to just playing computers and staying in the house. But when they get outside, there's not a lot for kids to do nowadays. They'll have a kick around, but they'll get bored very quickly. I could play football all day when I was a kid, but 
they don't seem to have very good attention spans anymore, children. So they'll get bored of a game of football after an hour and then they'll start twiddling the thumbs thinking, what can I do now? And then for some children, their mind wanders and they start like smashing things up or vandalising things just because it's fun. I mean, I got in trouble when I was a kid, don't get me wrong. I smashed the window and then got marched to my mum's house by the person whose window I smashed because everybody knew everybody. And, and I definitely did things wrong when I was a kid, but you were so much more scared of the police and adults and authority figures when I was a kid that you would never have sort of carried on being naughty. I, I, I robbed a pack of the sweets when I was about 13 and they called the police for a pack of the sweets and then the police took me to my house because I needed an adult with me and then I was so scared that I was going to jail because you had no understanding that that isn't what was going to happen when you were a kid. Like now a kid knows if they go and rob a pack of the sweets, probably nothing will happen to them and they know that. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've seen it in all the TV shows. They've, you know, they've played a video game where everyone stands up to the police and it, it doesn't mean the same anymore. Definitely. I mean, I would never have ever spoken back to a police officer when I was a kid. I would never have dreamt of it. I've always been sort of against this idea of, you know, restricting kids from the media and this idea this idea that like especially video games if you play a violent video game you know you become you're going to become violent but through saying this it does also make you realize that it does change your perspective on something sometimes especially when you're young and impressionable yeah i mean i, I agree it doesn't turn you into a murderer like people try to claim and but i mean it makes a 14 year old kid more interested in guns than they should be like Obviously, in this country, it's okay because you can't just go out and get a gun. But somewhere in America, where you're playing a video game, where you just go around shooting everybody, shoot whatever you want, and as soon as you turn seventeen or eighteen in America, you can go and buy a real gun. So it's a lot more dangerous in in that country because you can go and buy those things. Yeah, yeah, it won't turn you into a murderer, but the murderer, if you've got a murderer inside of you, it might sort of change the way you perceive the world around you. Yeah, it's given you the, it's given you the sort of maybe the motivation if you've already got like that thing wrong with you inside your head or inside your chemistry, then that's just motivating you more, I suppose. Hmm. Well, that's a nice depressing thought I've given myself. Um, yeah. So, what, what in your life? What has been the benefit to you? Like, what? How has it changed your life for the better? The things that you love. Because I've, I'm quite happy to stay in and watch movies because I grew up with them and that, that twice a year that I go to Comic Cons that is that is everything to me and that's something I look forward to and plan for months months and months at a time and try and I write a list of who's there who I want to see I'll then have a look what I own that that person's in so like try and take stuff for them to sign I mean I'm, I'm my own worst enemy because steel books signed are very hard to sell on because People don't have the same interest, but almost everything I get signed is is never with a view to sell it on anyway. So I don't mind what I get signed because it's for me, and it's it's only going to mean something to me. So at one point, I I had a, a lot of steel book signs, sort of twenty, thirty steel book signs, and I tried to sort of put the collection down a bit, and it was so difficult to offload because people just were like, "Why is he signing this?" And I'm like, "Well, it looks really good." It, to me, they're just a brilliant canvas to be signed. So 
but a lot of people don't agree with it. Agree with my my perspective that they're a lovely thing to have signed and it looks really nice, like like a matte steel, matte black steel book mm-hmm. with nice silver pens. Just looks amazing, and I have quite a few of them. Is it more about the the challenge for you than you know the I don't know you you know like you say some people just go around and they don't even know who the person is. But for you, is it more yeah, about I mean, the challenge? With, with the biggest celebrities, the ones I really want to meet, I do know, like Keanu Reeves is, is definitely on my list, but he's such a private and sort of elusive person. Unless you live in America, he's going to be very, very difficult to get. I, I've got a friend who's been autograph collector for 30 years and he's met Keanu Reeves, but even for him, who knew where to go and where he'd be and how to go about it, he only just managed to meet him, but he wouldn't sign anything for him. And there's just people out there that he's such a private person. He loves the fans, and he's a he's a he's a fantastic person to read all the time about how nice he is. But to get an autograph off him, it's not because he's nasty; it's because he doesn't like crowds, so he's never going to go to a comic con. And he just doesn't do a lot of things where you can meet him unless you, you bump into him somewhere because you know he's there. That's the only way you're going to meet him. Yeah, Tom Cruise. If you go to a premiere. You, it's almost guaranteed that he'll sign something because he gets there an hour early to sign things just for everyone who's there. So he's he's one of the easy ones, despite him being a huge megastar. It has really sort of... It's all been like milestones in your life and giving you focus in your life in different ways. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, Comic-Cons, I've been offered to, to work in London a few times, but as I said earlier, it's just given up the amount of time needed to, to go and attend those events because you start at half seven in the morning. So you've got to stay overnight because you can't really physically get to London for half seven in the morning unless you want to be tired all day. And then by the time you've finished, it's seven, eight o'clock in the evening, you're not going to want to go home then either. So then you're going to have to stay another night in London. And they don't give you a lot of... You don't get paid. The majority of them don't pay you anyway. But... London gives you like 40 quid's worth of vouchers and half an hour off for autographs, but you're not going to get to see any of the big stars in half an hour because the queues will be absolutely ridiculous. So you then have to give up the following day for you to spend the day at the events and not work there. So it's it's a full weekend thing. San Diego is, is a massive dream of mine, but I've looked into it and you have to like apply to, to get a ticket and then, then you have to go in a massive queue to get a ticket. Hotels book up months in advance and the planning involved to go to San Diego Comic Con is, is absolutely crazy and it's, and it's a week long event so if you want to see everybody you probably want to stay for the week as well because they'll be there on different days yeah it's crazy it's become do you think it's helped the culture or hindered the culture this sort of giant machine that has been created over it what's hindered the culture is all the, all the autograph hunters because they've made a lot of celebrities just be sick of being approached in the street and not want to sign things because people are trying to profiteer off them. I mean, I'm very much, if, if a celebrity's at a, an event or he's at a film set, then fine approach him. But like the guy I know who's, who's a friend of mine, he, he'll go to them when they're eating and, and, and or with the, with the family. But to me, that's cheeky and it's invasive because they don't get that much time for themselves. And for you to go and interrupt the meal just to get them to sign something or to, to pose for a photo with you in their in their personal time, I, I just think that's wrong. 
And for some of the huge stars like Harrison Ford and, and Tom Cruise, they they get so many thousands of people wanting to see them permanently and they get shouted in the streets and they get approached everywhere they go. That that one meal out is is very rare for them to not get pestered and I'm very much they should be allowed to just have that meal in peace with the family or whatever. I mean ninety percent of, of celebrities and stars will will be nice because they know obviously if the paparazzi caught them being horrible or then it can hinder their career. But they like to house a Ford. I think everybody knows he's grumpy and it's not hindered his career in any in, in any way. So he is who he is, sort of thing. He's, he's, he's openly said that he's, he's not even a massive fan of, of being a star. He, he's, at one point, he was going to quit Star Wars and go back to being a carpenter because acting just wasn't for him. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. So to sort of to end off, for like, especially the, you know, looking at kids these day, kids these days, what would you say to people listening to kind of embrace if they're like you embrace the things that they love, even though they're maybe not, you know, they're not the done thing and people might look down on it. What would you say to them to kind of encourage them and say that it's worth it? Well, I definitely think, I mean, this is what I tell my kids. You should be comfy with who you are and, and do whatever you want to do. At the, at the end of the day, I know bullying is, is so hard and it's even harder now with social media. You can't really get away from it, but, it, it depends on the character of someone. Bullying can, can make or break someone, I suppose. It's, it's quite similar to, to the basic training in the army. The people who pass out love it and go on to have great careers. And the ones who just can't hack being shouted at or can't hack. It, it, it's all fake. The, the, the way they're shouting at you and the way they're kicking off at you is all fake. It's just to test your character. They're just trying to, to make you into a man. I, I still think that, like, National service should be in place just to, to, to weed out the the people that are horrible people and, and they treat other people with disrespect. If they did a year in the army or even if they just completed basic training, I think eighty percent of the people would be would be nicer people and become nicer people. And they they would be a bit like more apprehensive of treating other people so horrible. So just be who you are. If you want to collect something, collect something. If you if you want to, like, if you want to be gay, be gay. Just be who you want to be, sort of thing. And and I can't stress that enough that everyone should just be and do whatever they want to do. And I wish that I'd have just stayed who I was when I was younger instead of having that break and I'm trying to become somebody else to to please them. I mean, they weren't even friends. I just did it because I felt like that's what I needed to do. Like named, named Cloven. I, I never wore named Cloven as a child, but because of how much bullying happened to me over that, I then went through a period of my life spending thousands and thousands of pounds on trainers and, and clothes that just have no relevance. They're just to keep you warm and to keep your feet warm. And Name, name Cloven has, has never sort of made any sense to me, even when I was little. So... Sorry, I am rambling on, but yeah, just be who you want to be and, and do what you want to do in life. You can find Glenn on Twitter at Real Glenn Davies. He's appearing on so many podcasts and rubbing shoulders with so many people, it's worth just following him to try and keep up. If you're looking for any other podcasts to follow, that will give you plenty of inspiration. As always, thank you for listening. 
You can contact the show at Era of Geek on social media or head to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. If you like the show, please do leave a review and tell your friends. You can also leave a review on podchaser.com. Biggest surprises I met was uh, Ron Perlman because obviously he's played Hellboy and he's played Claymore and Sons of Anarchy, so I was expecting this big, massive guy. But he's he's probably only about five foot seven, five foot eight, <laughs> and he's like a hunched over. He's, he's an old man at the end of the day, he's like 60. And when I met him, I'm, I'm six foot five, and I absolutely towered over him, and it was crazy to see how scary he was in Hellboy and how scary he was in Sons of Anarchy to then see how actually small he is in real life. The guy who plays Daredevil is is absolutely super nice guy, Charlie Cox. And Sam Neill is as nice as he comes across from, from what I've sort of met of him anyway. He, he was definitely as nice as you would think he was going to be. And 